Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. There's a change happening in the way we live, the way we work, the way we spend our money and make our decisions. We are evolving to be more conscious in our actions in a way that serves the world and makes it a better place. Welcome to The Ethical Evolution. The Ethical Evolution podcast is brought to you by Ethical Change Agency. I'm Bindi, I'm the founder, and my mission is to help ethical entrepreneurs and holistic healers to find their voice through spiritual coaching and podcasting. I'm honoured to bring you the stories of those who create change through healing, kindness, innovation, purpose and spirit. Understanding that to create collective change, we need to be the change. It all begins with us. Caleb Gardner's career has been driven by curiosity and focused on making positive change. He's an insatiably curious innovation strategist and change management expert. He had the pleasure of running the digital program for President Obama during the second administration. Caleb used to be at Barack Obama on Twitter. Now as a founding partner of 18 Coffees, a strategy firm working at the intersection of digital innovation, social change and the future of work, Caleb is working with companies like Comcast, Bose and United Way Worldwide on large-scale transformations. Caleb's new book, No Point B, Rules for Leading Change in the New Hyper-Connected Radically Conscious Economy, is available now. Welcome, Caleb, to The Ethical Evolution. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Now, I'm kind of excited, uh, firstly, to meet you and have you on the show. Um, As people will learn, you and I have so much in common and and it's no brainer why we are both here right now. But for those who don't know who you are, can you tell us who you are and what you do? Yeah, I'm a consultant by trade and I run an agency called uh, 18 Coffees where we really focus on transformation and change with some of the biggest companies in the United States, uh, you know, really at the intersection of social disruption and te- technology disruption. Uh, but my background is in digital strategy, communications, um, innovation. I come from a long uh, storied career in the agency world at Edelman and at, at, at management consulting at Bain and Company, but probably what I'm most well known for is running digital strategy for President Obama for three and a half years. Now, just just from what you said right there, I have a million questions. I'm super curious about all of it. Um, so I'm going to start with the Obama time. Um, like, what what were the highlights for you? Now, you ran uh, President Obama's Twitter account, right? Um, yes. What were some of the highlights for you in doing that? Oh, so many. I mean, it's hard to nail them down. I think the thing that I remember most, so my, my time was – 2013 to 2016. So really a lot of the second administration. And I think what I remember most is, is 
the launch of the Affordable Care Act marketplaces in the United States was a huge part of the Obama legacy and Obama accomplishments. As you know, in the United States, our healthcare system is not great. Mm. Um, it, it, it could use a lot of work. And um, the, the ACA was part of trying to bring it uh, into modernity a little bit and try to make it a little bit more equitable. And um, it passed during the first administration, but in 2013, the uh, online marketplaces were for a big part of the law uh, launched in that fall. And as you know, it didn't go well at first, or maybe mm. you don't know that. It didn't go well at first. The tech really was broken. Um, uh, people couldn't sign up for about the first six weeks of when they were open. And then when they finally fixed it, opened it up, we had to really make up lost for lost time in terms of getting people signed up to have health insurance. And so... We did everything we possibly could to try to reach the uh, the goal of six million people signed up, and at the very end, in, in at, of that open enrollment period in March 2014, um, we had more than seven million signed up. Wow. So that was a huge accomplishment. We were very excited. That's probably the biggest moment that I remember because we were just so relieved and so excited. Um, the the re- signing of the Paris Climate Accords was also a really big moment. Um, as you know, that's been the Mm. United States involvement of that has been a little bit of back and forth, uh, since then, but that was a huge, um, international moment that the president led. Um, but there, I mean, just a million moments in between that, that Mm. were, that were memorable and, um, you know, just in ways that you can't replicate in the rest of your career. Mm. And he was, I guess he was one of the most change-making and, you know, presidents in the United States history, if we, if we think of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think he probably had the, the hearts and minds of the people more so than any other president. Um, and, you know, since what's happened then, yeah, let's not even talk about that. <laughs> but um, I, I guess one of the things, um, you know, many Americans might not be aware of is that Australia is very heavily connected to America's political system and we we know mm-hmm. what's going on. And, you know, through the work that, that you do um, or did rather, um, particularly through social media, it keeps us even greater connected globally. Um, yeah, you know, for when better, we, for worse. Yeah. And, you know, so there's one thing I talk about often on this show and it, it is – what I do today impacts your tomorrow. And it's, we are in this one planet together. And it's the same when it comes to politics, even though we're in different countries and it's, you know, a different structure, it does impact us. You know, when you get a new president or we get a new prime minister, it does impact everyone. But I guess, you know, for you, it must have been tough managing those kind of communications because people would have been slamming him for different kind of things like that that Obamacare stuff when it didn't go right, when there were fails. Like, people just are vicious, aren't they? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I like – I make the analogy that usually when you're doing online community building, you get this bell curve of participation mm. where you've got, you know, a certain amount of people and you've got people at the, at the very top who love you no matter what you do. And you've got people at the very bottom who hate you no matter what you do. And then you've got this kind of normative bell curve in the middle of people who are, you know, honestly, not always paying attention, sometimes really interested, sometimes disconnected. But but really, most people kind of fall in that in that middle of, um, you know, I might like you or not like you on any given day, kind of depending on my mood. When you're, you're running accounts 
at that size. And really, you know, this is unique to politics, but it's especially unique to politics at that scale. The bell curve really flips on its head and Mm. almost everyone that engages either really loves you and you can't do any wrong Mm. or really hates you and you can't do any right. Mm. And most of those people in the middle aren't engaging really at all because they assume you're never going to pay attention to them anyway. And all you hear from is the people who love love you or hate you. So really, I think it, it, it yes, we did we hear a lot of detractors? Yes, were those the people that were most likely to engage with us online? Sure. But did we pay much attention to it? Not really, because mm-hmm. we knew that they existed. It wasn't really to our benefit to pay attention to what they were saying, unfortunately. Yeah. And, you know, I've also led like large accounts um, for iconic brands here in Queensland. And yeah, I've seen how people behave online and it's just like, you can see the power of social media, how Mm -hmm. it can really get out of hand when not managed well. Um, And and I think that's important. Yeah. And it, it, it can bring out the worst in people because it doesn't feel real Mm. sometimes, you know, Mm. like you don't have the social consequences that you do in person. You don't have the history of, you know, uh, that you do in person or even the social context. You don't have the, the, you know, someone knowing your name half the time, Uh, you know, it's anonymous online. So Mm. you just don't have, we don't have the same kind of social norms online that we do offline. Yeah. Imagine if you spoke to people like that face to face. Exactly. (laughs) What a world it would be. Now, uh, (laughs) Caleb, tell us about 18 Coffees because um, another thing that you and I have got in common is change and ethical change. So um, how did 18 Coffees come about? Yeah, and I'm so excited to to talk to you about this because I really want to hear your approach to it as well. I mean, our... We come from that political background, but really uh, my business partner and I, even before we worked for the president, um, were focused on digital strategy and, and digital transformation as part of that. And and the work that I did pre-Obama that I was most interested in was always about team building and um, restructuring organizations around that technolo- technology transformation. How do you How do you move faster? How do you how do you use online tools to do what we used to do offline? How do you think about power dynamics differently when people are carrying around these amazing supercomputers mm. in their pockets and, and mm. can say whatever they want about your brand any given day, right? Like there's really business structure implications for that, or there should be. I always thought there should be. And so coming out of the Obama world, when I was able to run this team that was incredibly agile, very fast working at, you know, maybe the highest risk possible of, um, you know, uh, speed and having to get it right. I I really thought we had learned so much about how to do that, that I wanted to be a part of, um, you know, history in terms of transforming the economy to be more digitally enabled, but also more socially conscious. Um, We saw that a lot of you know, again, even pre-Obama world, when social media was starting to become such a crucial part of society, we we had a thesis that we're going to start wanting more out of the products and, and services and companies that we purchase from. We're going to start wanting to bring our values to the shopping cart in, in new and interesting ways. Now that we can know almost everything there is to know about a company's values, we're going to start using that data to, to you know, uh, do business more. And I think that became more and more true the the you know up until today. I think that was our thesis when we started the company in 2017. I think we've got more data points about that today than ever. And so, 
you know, sitting at the intersection in an intersection of, you know, digital disruption and, and social disruption, we really thought they were interrelated. So we come at it from that angle of, yeah, it's cool. We want to be faster, more efficient, more productive. We want to ha- be more um, profitable, but we have to do all those things with an eye toward we are facing a consumer base that is more and more socially conscious and wants us to do business more ethically. Mm. Yeah. And that's that's all of the conversations I have on this show basically is, you know, those people who are trying to have that same message, you know, like um, in all areas of life, you know, right down to, you know, how we spend our money, the ways we work, what we eat, um, how we travel, pretty yep. much every single thing we do, every decision we make and the values attached to it. Um, can have a huge impact on our environment, our economy, our society, mm. our community. Um, and, and that's basically what this show is all about is, you know, for people to spread that message and just make people a little bit more aware that, you know, you can do things a little bit differently and make a small change. And if we all make a small change, imagine what that's going to do. That's right. It's yeah. all that collective change. And so if we all do our bit, whatever that is, um, it's just going to be a bigger change and we're going to change the world, right? That's right. Yeah. I, I, I write about this. I just published a book a few days ago, actually, as of this recording um, called No Point B here in the US. And I actually write about this a little bit in that in terms of um, we have to find the context in which we can give back and which we can do good because we live in this interconnected global economy and our the consequences of our actions reverberate in ways we don't even, they always have reverberated, but now Mm. they reverberate even more because of how interconnected our economies and our technology and our communications are. Mm. And do you reckon, and since COVID, that that's probably amplified even further? You know, uh, we've, since we were sort of locked down and we had to rely on technology and connection, a connection was so vital through that time, um, it made things, you know, all the noise sort of quietened down and, you know, the, the waterways got cleaner and the air got cleaner for a bit there and, you know, it was like the world went, you guys, you go inside and let me get better. (laughs) And, uh, you know, it was like that. So do you think that? COVID had a part in that evolution? Yes and no. So I think in certain ways, it absolutely pushed um, uh, the conversation about creating a more ethical and inclusive economy forward because we were we were, had visibility in 2020, especially about how interconnected life really is. Um, the forcing us indoors, to your point, forcing us online via Zoom, forcing us um, to, to really reevaluate a lot of the assumptions we made about modern life and, and go through an experience that was somewhat traumatic together as a global community really, I think, showed us how much we share in common and how much we depend on each other. Mm. I think where it had interesting negative effects is that since 2020, and this is partially economic effects, partially because of healthcare, partially because of the global political situation that we're in right now, we've actually seen a little bit of a retreat back toward nationalization and closing of borders. Mm. We've seen, you know, pulling back from the globalization and from the global economy. Um, I think the war in Ukraine probably had just as much, if not a uh, bigger effect on that than COVID did, but mm. COVID certainly started that trend. 
Um, so it'll be interesting to see how we continue to build on the themes of connectedness um, and and the themes of kind of being a global community and global citizens, while the the you know actual communities and governments that we are a part of are pulling back from that a little bit. Because I think that technology is still pushing us in that direction. We're looking at things like Web3. We're talking about kind of democratization. We're talking about a lot of things that we were talking about when the internet was first created, which I think is fascinating mm. in terms of like the um, uh, democratization of, of commerce. But we're now having policy decisions that are pushing us more toward isolation, which I think mm. is, is a really interesting dichotomy that I'm, I'm going to be paying attention to for a long time. Yeah, and, and you know, when you look at those large global scale events that we've just mentioned, um, they're a big exercise in change management, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yes. <laughs> and how and to we do it have, well. <laughs> we don't have, exactly. And we don't have um, institutions and global uh, leadership that t- necessarily knows how to do that well. I mm. think we saw, I mean, again, COVID, great case study for different leadership styles and mm. different ways of managing change for sure. And for here uh, in Australia, it was, you know, we were so locked down and, you know, there were so many laws and everything. It was just incredible. And now everything's wide open and we've had more deaths than ever. It's just, it's just insane. We're like, well, then why did we do all that? You know, (laughs) sort of like. Up until recently, right? Like you were locked down. uh, Yeah. Not Mm. that long ago. Mm, January, January, February. But um, yeah. Yeah. So now it's all wide open, but um, enough of COVID. Um, tell us a bit more about uh, your book, No Point B. Oh, thank you. Um, it, you know, it really is a labor of love of the work that my firm, 18 Coffees, has done over the past five years. But it, I also try to bring in a lot of my personal background, my experience working for the Obama uh, organization, but also for, you know, a lot of other clients. Um, having grown up in what was a really conservative Republican area and then going to a very progressive area and working for a democratic president, like looking, I bring in some of that and talking about like, what, what do we have in common in terms of those communities? But the, the thesis is that we need to start thinking about change, not as something that we go through that has an end point. The thesis is we have to start thinking about change as something we do constantly. And it has Mm. to become a core competency for how we live in this modern, very interconnected, very complex world that we were just talking about. Um, I called it no point B because I make the case that it's not a linear process. We can't think of change as I'm I'm at point A, I need to get to point B and then I'll be done. There is no point where we'll be done. Mm. We have to keep our mindsets flexible and be constantly learning. Um, I make the case, like you said earlier, that we live in a world of unintended consequences where we don't understand the ripple effects of our decisions. And so we have to be constantly challenging our own assumptions, constantly challenging the tools that we use to even determine what the truth is. Mm. um, And then we have to build organizations that are flexible enough and adaptable enough to be constantly testing. Is this strategy working? What new data do we have that is going to push us to think differently about our our own goals? Um, How do we how do we manage disruption as it starts coming? And I, I make the case that we have to prepare for that before it actually comes so that we're able to manage it. Mm. And I reckon if I read your book, I'll just be sitting there going, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, probably. Yeah, yeah, probably. And, you know, 
One of the things I also want to do with you, Caleb, is pick your brain about innovation because I also worked in um, innovation in our state government here. Um, And so I'm curious to sort of learn from you in terms of the internet and its current state of being, from an innovative mindset, where do you think we can take it? Ooh, that's a really good question. I mean, I I think that I'm going to answer this on two fronts. And one is kind of how do we improve the internet we have? And one is what's the next internet look like and where mm. it's going? Because I do think the conversations about Web3 are super interesting. I think some of them are a little superficial, but I think the underlying technology has has really interesting implications. So in terms of what is what could we make better about the internet we have? I think that we have proven that the engagement advertising driven business model has very negative societal consequences. And if we can get, if we can use imagination to get away from relying on eyeballs and engagement for every every major company, tech company that drives, you know, innovation on the current web, then we can actually build something that's a little bit more equitable and inclusive and and honestly, a, just a more fun place to be on the, on the internet. But I think there's a lot of incentives from a business model standpoint, um, especially in Silicon Valley here in the US to grow for the sake of growth, to get as many, much money as you possibly can to become a public company. So there's just a lot of, a lot of structural things that force a lot of decisions in that direction, which is, which is unfortunate. But I do think um, that is one of the things we could do to make the internet we have better. It's just not rely so much on these false metrics of engagement that make us, um, you know, start uh, pushing our online experience toward, um, you know, things that are really extreme. Um so that that I think that would be interesting. Web three I think has a lot of fascinating potential around um, ownership. Like owner, I think NFTs mm. for all their negative press, which honestly is very deserved because of, of how superficial it is, mm. has some really interesting applications that I think could be explored. Um, same thing for the metaverse. Again, I roll my eyes at every metaverse story, but are there some really great use cases of it? Yeah, I think so. Is it, is it, could it be really exciting one day? Yeah, I do. I do think so. So I think that there's a, there's an internet that can be built. I don't know if it's on top of the internet we have. I, I tend to think it's probably going to be alongside it mm. where we kind of have the traditional structure that we have of the internet right now. And then we have these ex- more experiential, more, um, you know, metaverse type things on top of it that, that intersect with real life more outside mm. of our computer. Mm. Um, I think that what, where for both where my head goes is how do we create safe spaces online? Like we have in person. Mm. Um, and I mean, safe spaces in terms of we have, argued about and um, passed laws about and 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 tried to move society forward in ways that include everyone, right? Mm. So in the United States, we've done things like the Civil Rights Act. We've done things like the Americans with Disabilities Act. We've done, you know, like we've done 
the reconciling of how do we, what's the experience of marginalized communities or people, um, you know, that aren't in a part of the majority and how do we make sure that they also have a space in our public places and they also feel safe in our public places. We never had that kind of reconciliation with our online places because almost every online place is is run by private companies mm. that may or may not care about those things. They definitely care about making money. They definitely care about engagement, but they don't necessarily care about inclusivity or and it definitely aren't mandated to care about it. Mm. And so I think that there needs to be, I'm hoping that Web3 will eventually push us in that direction, but I think there needs to be a serious reconciliation with the ethics of online spaces. Yeah. And, and that is such a, a long diatribe. I'm sorry. No, no, no. That is, that is <laughs> such a, yeah, like I, it's a logical progression really. Um, and, you know, as you pointed out, you know, there's no mandate behind it. There's no regulation behind the web um, at the moment. So people can pretty much do whatever the hell they want. Um, and when you look at big tech companies like, say, Google or Meta, Facebook, mm-hmm. um, they can pretty much do whatever the heck they want. And, you know, I think there's going to be a point where they're actually going to, I guess, trip themselves up more as time goes on that they're not actually being that fully inclusive um, space that we need. And I don't know, I in my mind, I think Google's probably a bit ahead of Facebook, to be honest with you, from my experience. Um, but, yeah, I, and having that inclusiveness not only just from a community but into our lives and the integration of how we use, um, you know, the internet in our homes, in our workplaces, you know, in our day-to-day lives, I think that's just going to be a, a clear progression, I think, for this. So it'll be exciting to yeah. see, you know, where this develops. Um, and no doubt uh, you'll be in the centre of that. <laughs> Maybe, maybe. Um, At the very least as a user. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. And and no doubt making huge change. Now, I did have one curious question for you. Why the name 18 Coffees? (laughs) We always get this question. Um, You know, if you ever name something important like a a business or or a child, um, you know how terrible the naming process is mm. because uh, you go through all kinds of options and in this case me and my business partner went through is it do we do something more creative do we do something more professional do we use our names do we you know like we're just i months this was a months long process <laughs> and we hated everything we could not make a decision and finally i said and this was over this was over chat this wasn't even in person i said look it doesn't matter what we call it we're going to have to build equity in whatever name it is. We need it to be, you know, unique and memorable, but, you know, it doesn't, it really doesn't matter. All that matters is a, that a website is free. So you just give me a number. I'm going to give you a flavor of ice cream. And if the website is free, we're just going to pick it and incorporate with that name. And we're not going to look back. <laughs> and she's Chinese by origin. 18 is a lucky number in Chinese culture. I was on a coffee ice cream binge at the time, and I still love coffee ice cream. Mm. Um, And we put it together, and neither of us hated it. And I said, fine, decision made. We're not, we're going to stop talking about this. That's the name of our company. I love it. I absolutely love it. Sounds like (laughs) a Monday for me, 18 coffees. No kidding. (laughs) Yeah, right. Seriously, we do both drink a lot of coffee. So it did, it felt apropos. 
Now, oh, that is just lovely. Now, Caleb, if people want to find out more about you and get in touch, where can they go? Uh, I'm Caleb Gardner, uh, almost anywhere online, but calebgardner.com, you know, has all my contact info, including about the book, No Point B. So find me there. And uh, go and check out 18 Coffees and have one while you're there. Uh, now I've got the last big question for you, Caleb. What's the change you'd like to see in the world and how can we bring it to life? Oh, God, great question. I love this question. I my feel like the reason why I am here, the reason why I wrote the book, the reason why I do the work that I do is I want people to see their agency in making positive change. I don't want people ever to feel cynical. I don't I don't like when people feel like they have nothing to give or feel like the world is, you know, going to hell and they can't do anything about it. The the what I always tell people is we all have a role to play. We all have power we all have a responsibility to use um you know this our part of this global community in a positive way it's just about finding your own context and finding your own way to give back in the book i have a a tool called the personal impact canvas that actually helps you outline that for Mm -hmm. yourself um, and helps you feel a little bit more empowered but that that's what i would say is i want i want everyone to to see see themselves as positive change makers Mm. I love that. And, you know, I also love what you said earlier about change doesn't stop. You know, like we seem to have this, okay, that change is done. I'm moving on now. Um, mm-hmm. It is an evolution. It is constant um, because we are evolving humans. The change goes with us as does the world around us. So, you know, and, and there's this, I don't know, this dialogue happening at the moment that we've got change fatigue, there's so much change, there's so much change going on and and people are getting afraid of change. It's not something to be afraid of and it's not something you can avoid. Um, So let's actually do it in an ethical, kind, inclusive way where we can actually make the world a better place. Exactly. Love it. And on that note, thank you so much, Caleb, for being a part of the ethical evolution. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution Podcast. If you're ready to be the change and would love to work with me on finding your voice through spiritual coaching or creating your own podcast with impact, visit ethicalchangeagency.com. I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast. Back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock band like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interviews. Electric acid. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys. Electric acid.